Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading Acts chapter 27 from the World English Bible. When it was determined that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners to a centurion named Julius of the Augustan band. Embarking in a ship of Andromatium, which was about to sail to places on the coast of Asia, we put to sea, Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. The next day we touched at Sidon. Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him permission to go to his friends and refresh himself. Putting to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. When we had sailed across the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy, and he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days and had come with difficulty opposite Snidus, the wind not allowing us further, we sailed under the lee of Crete, opposite Samane. With difficulty sailing along it, we came to a certain place called Fair Havens, near the city of Lycia. When much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous, because the fast had now already gone by, Paul admonished them and said to them, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion gave more heed to the master and to the owner of the ship than to those things which were spoken by Paul. Because the haven was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised going to sea from there if by any means they could reach Phoenix and winter there, which is a port of Crete, looking southwest and northwest. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to shore. But before long, a stormy wind beat down from shore, which is called Euroclidon. When the ship was caught and couldn't face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Clada, we were able, with difficulty, to secure the boat. After they had hoisted it up, they used cables to help reinforce the ship. Fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis sandbars, they lowered the sea anchor, and so were driven along. As we labored exceedingly with the storm, the next day they began to throw things overboard. On the third day they threw out the ship's tackle with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars shone on us for many days, and no small storm pressed on us, all hope that we would be saved was now taken away. When they had been long without food, Paul stood up in the middle of them and said, Sirs, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and have gotten this injury and loss. Now I exhort you to cheer up, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel, belonging to the God whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Don't be afraid, Paul. 
you must stand before Caesar. Behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, sirs, cheer up, for I believe God that it will be just as it has been spoken to me, but we must run aground on a certain island. But when the fourteenth night had come, as we were driven back and forth in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors surmised that they were drawing near to some land. They took soundings and found twenty fathoms. After a little while they took soundings again and found fifteen fathoms. Fearing that we would run aground on rocky ground, they let go four anchors from the stern and wished for daylight. As the sailors were trying to flee out of the ship and had lowered the boat into the sea, pretending that they would lay out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Unless these stay in the ship, you can't be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the boat and let it fall off. While the day was coming on, Paul begged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you wait and continue fasting having taken nothing. Therefore I beg you to take some food, for this is for your safety, for not a hair will perish from any of your heads. When he had said this and had taken bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all. Then he broke it and began to eat. Then they all cheered up and they also took food. In all we were 276 souls on the ship. When they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship throwing out the wheat into the sea. When it was day, they didn't recognize the land, but they noticed a certain bay with a beach, and they decided to try to drive the ship onto it. Casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea, at the same time untying the rudder ropes. Hoisting up the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach, but coming to a place where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, but the stern began to break up by the violence of the waves. The soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim out and escape, but the centurion, desiring to save Paul, stopped them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should throw themselves overboard first to go toward the land, and the rest should follow, some on planks and some on other things from the ship. So they all escaped safely to the land. That is the end of chapter 27. There is so much action in this section. So many specific names of locations and ships and uh, the name of the centurion and people and places who really existed. In verse 9, when Paul gives his first warning, the narrator mentions the fast. A cross-reference says that this refers to the Day of Atonement, which is mentioned in Leviticus 16, around verse 29, and also in Leviticus 23, verse 26, and Numbers chapter 29, verse 7. These passages all say, afflict your souls, which David Gusick's commentary explains as humbling yourself and abstaining from pleasure to indicate an understanding of the seriousness of sin and the need for forgiveness. And then historically, fasting became an important part of this, and so it became referred to as the fast. So afflicting your souls is more comprehensive, and it's about attitude and perspective. And fasting would be one action to potentially show this or do this. 
I also looked at BibleTools.org, and it had some interesting notes on the word that is translated afflict, and they said it means to force into submission. Other biblical examples of usage are in Genesis 16, 16, where Sarah afflicts Hagar, Numbers 24, 24, when it's describing what is done to enemies. Exodus 22, 22 talks about what should not be done to those who are most vulnerable, specifically widows or the fatherless. And then in Psalm 105, 18, the same word is used to describe the pain inflicted on Joseph when he was sold into slavery. And finally, in Exodus chapter 1, verses 11 through 12, that is the word used to describe what is happening to the children of Israel in Egypt after Joseph had died. So this emphasizes that the Hebrew word that is used is a very strong word. It is interesting to think of this in juxtaposition to what is going on with Paul at this time and with the storm. They will be afflicted and they will fast in response. We notice in verse 10 that Paul's warning does not say that at this point he had been given any supernatural revelation. In fact, he thought some people would die. If you look at what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, and you compare the timeline, um, they say that 2 Corinthians, that letter was written about the same time as the events in Acts chapter 20, so actually three years ago. And that says he had already been in three shipwrecks, so he did have some experience with shipwrecks. When we get to verse 16, it mentions the boat. But this is different than the ships that they are sailing on. The New King James Version translates it as a skiff, making it more obvious that it is small and probably used for transport when the ship couldn't get close to land. So in a sense, it could function as a lifeboat, which is one reason it makes sense to secure it in the storm. This same boat or skiff is part of the drama in verse 30. For verse 19, a cross-reference reminds us of what happened with Jonah, chapter 1, verse 5, where those sailors were also throwing cargo into the sea. And then verse 20 expresses the complete despair and the resignation of Luke, the, the narrator, to the impending death at sea. When in verse 21, Paul is not shy about saying, basically, I told you so, it is a way to move on to his next advice and telling them about another of his visions and his supernatural encouragement. So he's not just taunting them. I think in a, the discussion in a previous chapter, I counted five such events, but this makes six. When I was doing an internet search to see if anybody listed them all, I came upon one website that was trying to say that a vision in this time period merely meant, quote, a heightened focus or moment of clarity, end quote. Even if the meaning of that word could be so packaged and, dare I say, manipulated, the descriptions of what is going on with Paul in each of these instances is given in detail that make it clear none of this is Paul's own thoughts or imaginations. For instance, in Acts 9, we have his experience on the road with the light and the voice and the other people hearing it as well. In Acts 16, verses 6 through 10, there's a vision of a man from Macedonia. In Acts 18, 9 through 10, it says the Lord spoke to him. Um, Acts 22, 17 through 18, it talks about him being in a trance, but it says that he saw 
him capitalized Jesus saying things. Acts 23.11 says the Lord stood by him and said, and here in Acts 27, it specifically says an angel stood by him. So none of these are just like mental enlightenments of any sort. These are supernatural times of encouragement and direction for Paul. To try to say that vision in the sense that was happening to Paul is um, just something going on your in your own mind really leaves it open for people to imagine they are having messages from God when they aren't. And I would also say that the definition of vision now is more like what that author is trying to claim, where the word has come to be used to speak of grand plans or hopes. The details from verses 27 through 44 are astounding, from the sounding of fathoms to measure the distance to the sea bottom to how many people were on board, 276. This was a decent-sized ship, considering it also had cargo. And it is also all a witness to those men who were there of Paul's God. Again, this reminds us of Jonah. Verse 39 got my attention since these are sailors, and I don't see the Mediterranean as that large, especially compared to this Pacific and Atlantic oceans, but still they found an island they didn't recognize. Of course, we'll find out in chapter 28, they do figure out where they are. And even when they seemed so close to being able to get more safely on shore, the ship ran aground in a way that they were still in great peril. So verse 41 brings to mind Acts 16, verses 25 through 34, where the jailer was going to kill himself when he thought Paul and Silas were gone. Those in charge of prisoners during this time were in big trouble if their prisoners escaped. Specifically, according to the David Gusick commentaries, Roman law was such that a jailer who lost a prisoner would then suffer the punishment that the prisoner would have received. Verse 43 is interesting to think about. God had already promised Paul's survival. Because the centurion was wanting to save Paul, God used that human interaction to keep Paul alive. God uses natural means as well as supernatural to work out his purposes. And so we end this section with everyone escaping safely to the island. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today but not the end of our journey.